0: Well, good morning, church Family. And to set the record straight, I did not come up with the rock climbing theme for this new series. That was all Venus and Eric and them, um, although Venus or uh, Eric did say, boy, Venus knows how to make Tim happy when she came up with that theme. So uh, you know, when i I turned forty years old, um, the people at the church that I was pastoring at that time, became concerned that I was going through a midlife crisis. Um, You see, the, the same year I turned 40, I bought a motorcycle, and not just any motorcycle, Um, It was a loud 1,100 cc cruiser with flames painted on the gas tank. Um, My dad, who introduced me to to riding motorcycles when I was young, called it my hot rod, and he wasn't wrong. Um, And everybody in the church seemed to have an opinion about um, their pastor having a motorcycle. Um, Those who had lost loved ones in motorcycle accidents were quite understandably concerned for my safety. Um, Other people thought that it was funny, and they would joke about it. Some people thought it was cool, and a couple of people bought their own, and and soon, every other month, we were doing these church group uh, rides up in the mountains. But the most unexpected response was a complaint that a church member filed against me with the church's leadership. Um, Because I had young kids at home at that time, this particular church member believed that it was morally wrong for me to ride a motorcycle. And this member wanted me disqualified to be the pastor of the church unless I stopped riding. Um, And so, as you could imagine, this led to a very interesting conversation among our church leaders, our elders, about faith and fear and presumption. You see... One could argue that because I was a follower of Jesus, I was a Christian, that my place in heaven was certain, and the length of my life had already been determined by God, so why not ride? In fact, someone might argue that the person who filed the complaint was living out of fear instead of living by faith. But you could also make the argument that I was needlessly putting myself at risk, that I was testing God. After all, it's not like I didn't have a car to drive. I was choosing to ride a motorcycle. So was riding a motorcycle an act of faith or an act of foolishness? Well, ultimately, the elder board decided that it wasn't really their place to tell me whether I could ride a motorcycle or not. Though shortly after that, they did ask if they could take a life insurance policy out on me with the church as the beneficiary of the policy. No joke, this really happened. So I still have that motorcycle, and though I don't ride nearly as much as I used to, um, I've logged about 55,000 miles on it through the years. So um, this is me coming down a a tunnel from Mount Baldy uh, with a GoPro on my my handlebars um, a couple of years ago. Well, a couple of years after I bought the motorcycle, my youngest son and I started getting into rock climbing together. And climbing became a hobby for me, but for, for my son, it became his passion in life. And when he turned 18, he told me that he wanted to start free soloing. Now, if you've seen the movie Free Solo um, with Alex Honnold, you know that free soloing is climbing hundreds, sometimes thousands of feet up a rock face without a rope for protection to catch you in case you fall. So if you fall free soloing, you are almost certain to die or to be seriously injured. Um, In fact, soon my my son started doing what's called highball bouldering, which is like a prelude to free soloing where you uh, climb up without a rope up to 50 feet. This is him in Bishop, California. Climbing is probably about 50 feet up without a rope. Well, my son's free soloing ambitions were not good news to me as a dad. And suddenly, I found myself on the other side of the risk conversation that we'd had when um, I bought the motorcycle. Because the same arguments that were used for why it was okay for me to ride a motorcycle could also apply to why it was okay for him to free solo. His life was in God's hands. His future was secure. The length of his life already known by God. So why not free solo? Some might even argue that me as his dad trying to talk him out of it um, was me giving in to fear instead of living by faith. But from my vantage point as a dad of an 18-year-old, it seemed like a foolish, needless risk. Even the best climber in the world can't control a handhold breaking or a foot slipping. The, The stakes just seemed too high to me. Well, he finally gave up his free solo ambitions when he was at a crag called New Jack City, and he saw a guy free soloing who fell about 40 feet, and he survived, but he broke a bunch of bones in his feet, and that seemed to um, cure him from those ambitions, at least for now. Where is this line between faith, fear, and presumption? Well, today we start a new series, as Heather mentioned, called Living by Faith. that is going to be based on chapters 11, 12, and 13 of the book of Hebrews in the New Testament. And the key theme of the entire book of Hebrews is to persevere in our faith. And chapters 11, 12, and 13 give us practical application about how to do that about how to live by faith. And so today we're going to start by looking at what faith does from Hebrews 11, verses 1 through 3, and then verse 6. And so I want to invite you, if you're able and if you're willing, would you stand with me for the reading of God's word? Hebrews 11, beginning in verse 1. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command, so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. Now, if you skip down to verse 6, and without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. You can be seated. Hebrews 11 starts with a definition of what faith does. Faith is our confidence in what we hope for. Now, Faith, then, is connected to hope, and hope, by its very nature, deals with the future. It deals with things that haven't happened yet. So faith is our confidence that the future that God has promised in his word in the Bible, that that future will, in fact, come to pass. The Greek word translated confidence in verse 1, it means that which provides a basis for for trust. That's what confidence is. This same word translated confidence was sometimes used in the ancient world to describe the title deed of a property. Faith in Jesus is the title deed of our hope, our confidence in God's promised future, that it will come to pass. Faith is also our assurance of what we don't see. Now, the future is unseen because it hasn't happened yet, so we don't see it. But there are also some things right now in the present that are unseen as well. Not everything that is real can be seen with our eyes. Our world is filled with unseen realities like God's love, God's presence, God's plan. And the fact that we cannot see these things with our eyes doesn't make them any less real. Faith is the assurance that what God says is real really is real, even if we can't see them. Now, the word for assurance here, this word means proof or evidence. Faith is evidence of these unseen realities. Now, some people say they can't believe something until they see the evidence first, but Hebrews 11.1 1 actually reverses that, that faith itself is the evidence of the things that we cannot see. It's a Bible scholar named Mary Healy, and she puts it this way in her commentary in Hebrews. She says, those who live by faith are so convinced of God's truthfulness that they stake their whole lives on God's promises, showing or giving evidence that those promises are true. See, this definition of faith in verse one focuses on what faith does. Faith lays hold of the promises that God offers us through Jesus Christ. Faith grabs a hold of those promises that God offers us and holds on to them. You see, faith has no power in and of itself. Faith is only as powerful as its object. If I have a tremendous amount of faith that the ice on a frozen lake will hold my weight, It's not my faith that determines whether or not the ice will hold my weight. If the ice is thin, it will break and I will fall in no matter how much or how little faith that I have. It's not my faith that determines it. It is the worthiness of the object of faith that determines it. And this is why Jesus once said that even a tiny bit of faith the size of a mustard seed, is enough. Because even a little bit of faith in God's promises is sufficient to hold us because of the reliability and trustworthiness of those promises. On the other hand, a tremendous amount of faith in something that God has never promised us will disappoint us. It will be thin ice. And no matter how much faith we have, we will crash in to the lake. Faith lays hold of God's promises. Now let's define faith a little bit more. Let's dig in a little bit deeper into what this kind of faith is. Authentic biblical faith starts with our mind. It starts with understanding God's promises. We can't lay hold of something that we don't know about. So faith starts with knowledge, with knowing exactly what God has promised to us through his son, Jesus. And incidentally, not every promise that's made to someone in the Bible is also a promise to us as Christians today. In the Bible, God sometimes gives promises to individual people that are limited to those particular people. Like God's promise to to Abraham and Sarah that they would have a child in their old age, past their childbearing years. Or or God's promise to King Hezekiah when he was sick and it looked like he was going to die and God promised him he would live another 15 years. These promises to people like Abraham and Sarah and Hezekiah all reveal something true about God, which is why they're in the Bible for us, but they're not God's promises to us. God doesn't promise that every infertile couple will have kids when they're well past their childbearing years. God doesn't promise that every person who gets sick will live another 15 years. So we need to make sure that we read our Bibles carefully to make sure that the promises that we are laying hold of and holding on to are promises that God has actually made to us through Jesus. Otherwise, we'll be stepping onto thin ice. Faith starts with the mind, knowing God's promises, but then faith moves from the mind to the heart, agreement with those promises. Once we know what God has promised, we move closer to authentic biblical faith when we agree that those promises are true. We become convinced that God is faithful and reliable and that we can believe and agree that those promises are true. And we do that with our hearts. It moves from mind to heart. But then authentic biblical faith moves from the mind and the heart to the will by actually trusting in God's promises. This is where we step onto the ice of the frozen lake. This is when faith grasps God's promises and holds on to those promises, relying on them to sustain us in life. Because it's one thing to know God's promises and to agree that they're true, but to stay on the shore and to never step on to the frozen lake and rely upon them. And unless our faith includes trust, it stops short of real, authentic, biblical faith. Now, our problem, one of many problems that we have, um, according to the Bible, is that sin has messed us up. Sin has darkened our minds, hardened our hearts, and damaged our will. So we are incapable of having this kind of faith left to our own resources. Our capacity to even have faith Starts with God, as through the work of God's Holy Spirit, God enlightens our mind enough to understand God's promises. God softens our heart enough to agree with God's promises, and God empowers our will enough to trust in those promises. God will open the way for us, but we have to make the decision to grab a hold of those promises, to step from the bank onto the frozen lake. Faith lays hold of God's promises. Now, later in this chapter, and we'll spend a couple of weeks in it, we're going to see a long list of, of men and women who are examples of this kind of faith. Um, Hebrews 11 has been called the hall of fame for faith. And verse 2 gets us ready for this list, this Hall of Fame, by telling us that this is what the ancient people were commended for. And the word commend in verse 2, it means to gain approval. This is how people in the past gained God's approval. See, people in the Old Testament did not gain God's approval through their works. Contrary to what some non-reformed churches believe and teach, God's people have always found God's approval. Through their faith. That's why verse 6 says that without faith, it is impossible to please God. People have always come into a relationship with God by grace through faith. And the author of Hebrews wants to show us that these ancient people from the past are our people. These are our people. That when we live by faith, we are part of a community that goes all the way back to the beginning. And just as they laid hold of the promises of God that God had given to them in their time and in their generation, when we lay hold of the promises of God that God has offered us through Jesus, we are part of their community. They're our people. Faith is the only way of life that pleases God. It produces the only way of life that pleases God. And this goes all the way back to the beginning. Now, let me just say that living by faith does not mean that we will never have doubts. Living by faith and experiencing doubts are not mutually exclusive. In fact, many of the people who we'll read about listed in this chapter struggled with doubts. People like Abraham and Sarah and Jeremiah and others. And yet they're still commended for living by faith. You know, when I worked in campus ministry for nine years at Azusa Pacific, um, I would sometimes talk to students who grew up in the church and who in college were having doubts about their faith. This is actually a common experience among young adults. And by the way, it's not college itself that causes young adults to doubt their faith. Statistically, young adults who don't go to college are actually more likely to have a faith crisis than those who do go to college. And most of these students that I talked to, not all of them, but a lot of them, eventually came out the other side of their doubts with an even stronger faith. Some of you know that that my second son declared himself to be an atheist when he was a senior in high school and proclaimed that all the way um, through his 20s until he came back to his faith about a year and a half ago. But you know, young adults aren't the only ones who go through seasons of doubt about their faith. You can go through a faith crisis at any age. Mother Teresa went through seasons of doubt about her faith. In fact, she wrote this in a letter once. When I try to raise my thoughts to heaven, there is such a convicting emptiness that those thoughts return like sharp knives and hurt my very soul. She goes on to say, I am told that God loves me, yet the reality of darkness and coldness and emptiness is so great that nothing touches my soul. And yet, Mother Teresa was a person of incredible faith. When we honestly face our doubts with a heart that is open towards God, we're still living by faith. And we will come out the other side with an even stronger faith. This is the kind of life that pleases God. Verse 3 says that by faith we understand It's the first of 18 times the author of Hebrews will use this phrase, by faith, just in chapter 11. And this first affirmation is that by faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command. None of us was present when God created the universe. So God as creator that we sang about just a minute ago is one of those things that we can't see, but we can understand by faith. Faith helps us understand what we don't yet see. It helps us understand what we don't yet see. So let's linger on this phrase for a minute. By faith, we understand. Faith is a kind of knowledge that helps us understand what we wouldn't otherwise understand. One of my favorite definitions of Christian theology comes from an 11th century um, Christian leader named Anselm who lived in England, and he, he defines Theology is faith-seeking understanding. Christian theology starts with faith in God's promises and then looks through the lens of that faith to understand ourselves and our world and the truth and the future. So what does faith help us understand? I mean, if we had a couple hours, I could give you dozens and dozens of examples. But let me just mention two. By faith, we understand God's love for us. By faith, we understand God's love. We live in a world where every other kind of love that we encounter is conditional upon something, conditional upon our looks or our grades or athletic performance or our work performance or conforming to the expectations of the people around us. No matter how much our parents loved us, Their love was still flawed and incomplete. Even the closest friendship and the healthiest marriage has conditions in it. Faith helps us understand that God doesn't love us the way anyone else loves us. Faith helps us understand God's love. Faith also helps us understand God's plan understand God's plan. By faith, we understand that God is working out his plan. You know, the more you watch the news, and it can get toxic after a while, but the more you watch the news, the more tempting it is to live in fear or live in outrage or live in despair about all that's happening in the world, all that's happening in our country. Data released by the Pew Research Center a couple of weeks ago projects that by 2070, for the first time in U.S. history, Christians will be a minority in America. It's easy to get discouraged. But by faith, we understand that in the midst of that chaos and uncertainty, God is working out his plan. By faith, we understand that no war, no election, no scandal, no recession, no crisis can stop God's plan for the world or stop God's plan for your life and my life. If we're not living by faith, we will live in a state of constant outrage or a state of constant fear or a state of constant despair. But by faith, we understand that God is working out his plan because faith helps us understand things that we wouldn't ordinarily be able to understand. See, biblical faith is not primarily about whether or not I should ride a motorcycle or whether or not my son should free solo. These are risk calculations that every person has to make. And some people are more naturally prone to risk-taking. Some people are more naturally risk-avoidant. And faith certainly plays a role in our risk calculations. And we'll talk about that in the weeks ahead in this series. But faith is primarily laying hold of the promises of God and holding on to them. That's what faith does. And as faith grasps God's promises, it will produce a way of life that pleases God and that helps us understand things that we wouldn't otherwise understand. There's no verse in the Bible that promises that if I ride a motorcycle, I won't crash. There's no verse in the Bible that promises that if my son free solos, he won't fall. But the promises that we do find are dependable can be relied upon. Like the promise that our sins can be fully forgiven and we can be forever reconciled to God through faith in Jesus. The promise that God will lead us and guide us in life no matter what's happening around us. The promise that God will provide for our needs and give us peace during seasons of turmoil and keep on loving us even if we lose our way. The promise that God will never abandon us. The promise that God will finish what he has started in our lives and bring it to completion. And these are just a few of the rock-solid promises that are offered to each and every one of us through Jesus. Faith lays hold of these promises and then learns how to live holding on to them. This is the way of life that God's people have lived from the very beginning because it's the way of life that pleases him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these words and this challenge to lay hold of your promises. And thank you, God, that all of the promises that you have offered us through Jesus are yes, through him. Lord, thank you that the ice is thick and will hold the weight of our lives When it comes to your promises, protect us from the thin ice of false promises and help us develop the muscle of faith that we might learn to live by faith as men and women who love you have been doing from the very beginning. God, we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.